A story is told about a lady who is a Nouveau-Riche, a tourist who went to visit the Louvre in Paris. As she flitted through the priceless art in that great museum, she was uninspired. And as she swept her critical eye over some of the world's greatest paintings, as she critically glanced at the work of the great masters, she sniffed in disdain as she said, I don't think much of them. The museum official who was standing nearby replied coldly, as they can do. (laughs) He said, Madam, people do not judge these pictures. These pictures judge people. Now, I want that story to sink deep into the recesses of your mind because it's far more relevant in the Christian walk and the Christian faith than you will ever realize. Think about it as you meet people who have very much that attitude toward the Christian faith and the essence of the Christian faith. They stand in judgment over it instead of letting it judge them. Those who judge the Christ of God instead of allowing the Christ of God judge them. There are a large segment today in the mainline church who insist that Jesus was only a religious leader, that Jesus was only a good teacher, that Jesus was only a prophet, that Jesus was only a philosopher, that Jesus was only one of the greats, that Jesus was a model of love and self-giving, that Jesus was merely divine inasmuch as you and I are divine. Yet, those scoffers do not understand that we do not judge Him, He judges us. These people who scorn the Christ of God do it in ignorance. In fact, there are even believers in evangelical churches today, so-called born-again believers, who see Jesus as the great lawyer in the sky who is there to just get them out of trouble every time they get into trouble. There are many who confront the claims of Jesus Christ, and they are contented to Receive him and believe in him just as a little helpless baby in a manger. Very few who understand that Jesus was not just another Jewish boy, was born as a baby. Very few want to acknowledge the fact that Jehovah of the Old Testament was that very baby in the manger. And the mystery of the incarnation baffles a lot of minds. And so they react the same way as that woman has reacted to the great work of art, because they cannot comprehend how the voice that called the universe into being can cry for his mother's milk. They sniff with disdain at the divinity of Christ. Just because they do not understand how eternity could pour himself into a moment in time, they thumb their noses at Christ like the woman did at the masters of the art. The fact that they cannot fathom how infinity squeezes himself into a teardrop, how a potter can climb inside his clay, they become indifferent to his claims. The fact that the one who made the universe voluntarily chose to become a man without compromising who he was in any way, causes them to reject the very essence of the Christian faith. 
And because this woman did not understand, did not comprehend the mastery of the art, she scoffed at it. In the same way that those who do not comprehend the divine power of God, how can it invade a virgin's womb? They scoff at the virgin's birth. But you see, the virgin birth is the only possibility, is the only way for Jehovah of the Old Testament to become a man at the same time remain as Jehovah. Jesus needed a human mother to have a human nature. But if he had a human father, he would have received the sin nature. Now, some of you mothers don't understand this. But let me explain it to you. When you spank your little boy, when he does the wrong thing, you are spanking daddy out of him. <laughs> now, don't overdo it now. <laughs> and the fact is that Jesus Christ knew no sin. And today I want to talk to you about the Lord Jesus. I want to talk to you about the angel of the Lord. And we saw, first of all, who are the angels. Then we saw what are the tasks that they perform. And today I'm going to tell you about the angel of the Lord. The unique angel of the Lord. There is no other like him. There will be no other like him. He is distinguished from all other angelic hierarchy. He is distinguished from all angelic beings. In Exodus 3 and 2 and in Malachi 3 and 1, he is called the angel of the Lord and the angel of the covenant, respectively. In Genesis 16, he is the angel of the Lord. In Genesis 18, he is called the Lord. In Genesis 32, he is called Peniel, or the face of God. And in Joshua chapter 5, he is the captain of the Lord of hosts. And this angel of the Lord in the Old Testament is no other than the pre-incarnate Christ. Christ before the incarnation. This is what theologians refer to as theophany or the appearance of the pre-incarnate Christ. And I want you to focus with me on four distinctives. Remember them very carefully. Because we have so many people today worshiping angels. You can worship the angel, but not the other angels. What are these four distinctives that distinguishes him from the rest of the angelic hierarchy? Number one, he knows the future. Angels don't. Secondly, he makes promises. Angels can't. Thirdly, he receives intercessions. Angels don't. And fourthly, he gives blessings and demands surrender. Angels do not. But you know how interesting, in all the popularity of angels, in all the bookstores, including the Christian bookstores, and all media and everything else, the angels that matter the most, these worshippers of angels are interested in the least. Isn't that amazing? should not be. First of all, the angel of the Lord knows the future. Turn with me, if you have your Bibles, to Genesis 16, beginning at verse 7. There is the appearance of the angel of the Lord. It's found there as he talked to Hagar. I want to give you some background first, so you understand the context of this. Sarah, Abraham's wife, who got impatient with God, and would not wait for God to fulfill his promise to her husband Abraham, in God's own time and in God's own way. Out of that impatience of waiting, she tried to help God out. God's little helpers. 
Got lots of them in the churches. Don't raise your hand. So she told her husband, she said, Abraham, take Hagar, my maid. When she conceives and have a baby, according to the customs and the tradition of Haran, the pagan Haran, where they came from, if Hagar would sit on her lap and deliver her baby, they'll be like hers. You know, we want the look-alike, but God wants to give us the real thing. So Ishmael was born, but then God fulfilled his promise. You see, delay is not denial. God's timing is always perfect. And on God's schedule, Isaac was born from Sarah, supernaturally, miraculously, an old lady and an old man. God gave them a child. And after that fulfillment and Isaac was growing up, Sarah began to burn with jealousy. (laughs) And burning with jealousy, she nagged Abraham. Get rid of her. Get rid of her. Get rid of her. So reluctantly, Abraham sends Hagar and her son Ishmael out in the wilderness. And when Hagar got into the wilderness, the Bible says that the angel of the Lord appeared to her, and he told her some things about the future of her son, her future and the future of her son. Look at verse 13 of Genesis 16. Hagar became elated at the promises of the angel of the Lord. And she said, you are the God who sees me. And Hagar knew that she was standing in the very presence of the Lord himself. The angel of the Lord knows the future. Because the angel of the Lord in Genesis 16 is no other than the Lord Jesus Christ of the New Testament. He is a pre-incarnate Christ. Secondly, the angel of the Lord makes promises. Turn to Genesis 18 verse 1. You notice something very interesting as you read those first few verses. It says in verse 1, the Lord appeared to Abraham. And then in the next breath it says that he was called the angel of the Lord. And the angel of the Lord did not only know the future, but he made some extraordinary promises to Abraham. Promises that only Jehovah can make. Only the Lord himself can make. Ordinary angels are messengers. The word in the Greek and the word in Hebrew, they mean messenger, male boy. They are delivery people. They they have nothing to do with the message. They only take it from one place and send it to the other. They have no control. So in Genesis chapter 18, verse 10, the angel of the Lord said to Abraham, he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life, and lo, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. The angel of the Lord predicted the future accurately. The angel of the Lord unveiled future experiences that will take place in Abraham's life and in Sarah's life. And then the Bible said two of the angels, there were three together, two of them left and one stayed. The angel stayed behind and he remained with Abraham to talk to Abraham. What were they talking about? Well, that brings me to the third uniqueness of the angel of the Lord, and that is he receives intercession. You see, Abraham and the angel of the Lord looked down from the mountaintop, and they looked down into the valley, and what did they see? They saw a modern American city, a city that was filled with abortion practitioners, a city that was filled 
with gay pride parades, a city that was filled with brothels on every corner, a city that, in which gang rape was rampant, a city with child sexual abuse was very common practice, a city with drugs and murders was the order of the day. And they looked down, and the pre-incarnate Christ, the angel of the Lord, said to Abraham, I will not keep a secret from you. I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do with that city. He said, I will bring judgment upon this city. You see, the angels cannot bring judgment on a city. They only execute the judgment that is pronounced by the angel of the Lord, and they make it happen. But the angel of the Lord pronounced judgment upon the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. As if the angel of the Lord was saying to Abraham, as I'm sure God in heaven is saying that again today. Is saying, Abraham, I have been patient for long enough. I have been merciful for long enough. I have been reaching down to them for long enough. I have been speaking to them in variety of ways. I have been waiting for them to repent, but they're not repenting. And now my justice is about to take over. Now my justice is about to be exercised and fulfilled. And Abraham thinks for a minute and scratches his head. And all of a sudden, as his mind races, he thinks of his nephew Lot. And he knows in his heart what's going on. He says, oh, my nephew, he's into that lifestyle. He says, my nephew's family may go to church on Sunday, but the rest of the week they're living like the pagan in which they are living. Lot knows the truth about God, but he is living in a lie and compromise. Lot knows what is right, but he's living and practicing what is wrong. What will happen to him? What will happen to his family? Well, they get wiped out too. And then Abraham begins to intercede with the angel of the Lord, the pre-incarnate Christ, on behalf of nephew and his family. And the angel of the Lord, the pre-incarnate Christ, receives intercession. He receives intercession. And after a good Middle Eastern bargaining session, (laughs) the angel of the Lord promises to deliver Lot out of the judgment. My friends, please listen to me very carefully. Hear me right. I want to tell you that the very reason why God has not poured out His wrath fully upon our cities is because of the intercession of the remnant. The pre-incarnate Christ who is the angel of the Lord is the same Jesus Christ who is sitting now on the right-hand side of the Father interceding on our behalf, answering our prayers, responding to our intercession. The angel of the Lord was unique, for he knew the future. The angel of the Lord was unique because he makes promises. The angel of the Lord was unique because he received intercessions. And then fourthly, the angel of the Lord is unique in demanding surrender and dispensing of blessings. Turn to Genesis 32. There you see that Jacob and his family were coming back home. All their cattle, all their sheep... All the wives and the children, they're heading home. But you must understand what happened 30 years earlier to understand what happened in this incident. 30 years earlier, Jacob ran away from home because he's cheated his brother. And he was running out of fear. And he ended up in his uncle's compound, working on his uncle's farm. You see, Jacob was young. He was single. He was ambitious, and you know what? Above everything else, he was tricky. He was very tricky. 
And during his time away from home, working for his uncle, his uncle cheated him. Divine justice always works, trust me. And he had to work for 14 years in order to get the woman whom he loved. Now Jacob had become wealthy. He's no longer alone. He's no longer single. He's no longer poor. He was wealthy. He had large family. And now he's gotten a little older. And he began to reflect upon God's promises. So he's on his way back. He got to a spot, a place called Jabbok. And there he sent his family on and he stayed alone. Look at verse 24 of Genesis 32. It says, the angel of the Lord, says a man, the angel of the Lord met him there. And there, there was a wrestling match between Jacob and the angel of the Lord. Hear me right. Many people and and many preachers take that wonderful scene as uh, a symbol of wrestling with God in prayer. It's okay. Keep taking it that way. That is not exactly what the text meant. It's all right. It won't do you any harm. In fact, it wasn't Jacob so much wrestling with the angel as much as the angel was wrestling with Jacob. And you say, why? Because he, Jehovah, initiated his appearing. He is sovereign. He comes when he wants to. And he comes to Jacob at this very important juncture in his life. Because this, to God, was his last chance to do his work in Jacob's heart. This was God's last opportunity to bring Jacob into surrender. This was God's opportunity to get Jacob to walk out of the life of wheeling and dealing and the life of hassling and haggling, the life of cheating and the life of sneaking, the life of manipulating and maneuvering and the life of grabbing and hiding. God wanted him to get out of this life. This was God's design to lift Jacob out of the life of yelling to the life of yielding. Out of the life of self-preservation to the life of self-surrender. Out of the life of deception into the very life of discipleship. And Jacob, the proud man, refused the humbling that God's angel, the angel of the Lord, was bringing to him. And he struggled. And he struggled. And he struggled. Now I want to stop here for a minute. Stop preaching and I want to meddle just for a little bit. If you are struggling with the Lord in any area of your life, please let me give you a very valuable advice. (laughs) Personal advice from great wealth of experience. Give up. (laughs) You will not win. You will not win. Someone said, I wish there was another beatitude. Blessed is the man who does not strive for the Spirit of God. Now, whether you struggle with God is over finances, whether you struggle with God over your giving of your tithe, whether you struggle with God is over your marital fidelity, whether you struggle with God is over your business or over an addiction or over a dominating sin in your life or anything that you are haggling with God about, give up. You will not win. You will not win. You cannot win. Do what Jacob did. Finally surrendered. For years, for years, Jacob had been running here, there, and everywhere. For years, Jacob had been trying to protect his interest from his employer, father-in-law. 
For years he has been engrossed and busy and focused on building his nest egg. For years he has been wrestling and restless and anxious. And during all of this time, God has been trying to get Jacob's attention. God has been trying to get Jacob to rest upon him. He's been trying to get Jacob to put his trust fully in the Lord. How can he bless him and bring the nation of Israel out of his loins if he has not learned the lesson of surrender? God will not bless you as long as you strive with God. Finally, in Genesis 32, 25, the pre-incarnate Christ, the angel of the Lord, he was going to have his last word. <laughs> Make no mistake about it, God will always have the last word. Wrestle as you may, Jesus, the angel of the Lord, will have the last word. Resist what you may, Jesus, the angel of the Lord, is going to have the last word. Argue all you want. Jesus, the angel of the Lord, will have the last word. Fight all you can, but ultimately Jesus, the angel of the Lord, will have the last word. Hide the best way you know how, but be assured that Jesus, the angel of the Lord, will have the last word. Make it easy on yourself. Surrender to the angel of the Lord, just as Jacob did. In Jabbok. When the angel of the Lord began to see that Jacob was still not getting it, <laughs> he was not getting it. He was thick head. And let me not point fingers, please, because I know some of you might not agree with me, but I believe God has his two by fours. <laughs> and you know what? I have scars all over my body to prove it. <laughs> and Jacob wasn't getting it. Finally, the angel of the Lord put forth his hand and touched the sinew of his thigh, which shriveled like a cord in a flame. Right at that point, Jacob was no longer resisting. He was not fighting anymore. He threw his arms around the angel and he said, Lord, okay, <laughs> I yield, I yield, I yield. I give up. Make it easy on yourself. <laughs> But I will not let you go until you bless me. Even in his stubbornness, he knew that blessing can only come after surrender. How did the angel of the Lord, the pre-incarnate Christ, bless Jacob? Well, he changed his name. Names in the Middle East are very symbolic. They're very important. They do not name the children after Uncle Jim or uh, Aunt May or somebody in the family, wonderful as that is, but that's just not the mindset. They name the children the way they want them to grow up to be. So what was Jacob's name? His name means a supplanter. It means a cheat. It means a mean and crafty person. Now... Any of you named Jacob, please don't change your name because now we live in the age of grace. <laughs> and as if the angel of the Lord is saying, the pre-incarnate Christ, as if he was saying to Jacob, as of this day, as of the day of your surrender, as of the day that you have stopped wrestling, the day you've stopped resisting, I will change your name. Your name shall be Israel. Literally, it means contending with God. But there's a secondary meaning to that name. 
It means God's prince. God's prince. You can easily construct it from the Hebrew. And as a prince, you have power with God and with man. The only way to prevail with God is by surrendering to him. The only way you become a prince with all the privileges and the responsibilities and the joys is when you get out of the driver's seat and move into the passenger seat. A preacher of yesteryears by the name of J.H. McConkie. One day he was wrestling with this passage. He was going to preach from it. And he called a physician friend of his and asked him, he said, is there a a medical point of view that he knows about is why God would touch Jacob upon the sinew of his thigh. The physician said, I have looked at this myself. And here is his response. And I'm not sure whether scientifically accurate or not the story is, is accurate. He said, because it is the strongest tissue in the human body, a horse could not tear it apart. My friends, please listen to me very carefully. That the angel of the Lord, whom the world does not understand, whom the world cannot comprehend, the angel of the Lord, toward whom many sniff in disdain, he must break us down at the strongest point of our self-will before he can bless us. The angel of the Lord must break us down at the strongest point of our self-will before he'll bless us. The word of God said, Today, if you hear his voice, harden not your heart. God loved Israel, the individual, and he loved his nation, Israel the nation. Yet when they hardened their hearts, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. God is not a respect of person. He loves you. But if you keep hardening your heart, you will keep wandering in your wilderness of life. He cannot use you. He cannot bless you. And he cannot make you a blessing. Will you open your heart today and say, Lord Jesus, break me at the strongest point of my self-will. The angel of the Lord, come in. I surrender. Bless me. And that's in the simplicity of these words. Trust him. Continue walking with him. And he will bless you. Some of you are Jacobs. And God has not been able to bless you yet. Not that he can't. But he does not violate his own spiritual principles in the scripture. And he's waiting for you. The blessings that he wants to give your family. The blessings that he wants to give others surrounding you. Are waiting until you surrender. Would you do that today? Heavenly Father, we bless you. We honor you. We glorify you. That you love us enough. You care about us enough to want us to surrender to you. We thank you for that. We don't understand it, but we thank you for it. Because we know that you have our best interest at heart. Holy Spirit, move. Every heart is bowing before you. Every knee that is bending before you today, do your work. Do business with us, that we may do business with you. 
bless us and make us a blessing for Jesus' sake. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.